Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the 35th episode of The Eternal Optimist Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon. And wow, 35 episodes. I appreciate you all so much. Those who tuned in, listened, and lent in your ear. You are loved and appreciated, and I hope you're getting value. Uh, I know you are because we've gotten multiple thousands of downloads. So much appreciated. Hey team, before we get started here, take a moment and think who might benefit from hearing a story of hope, a story of you can do it too, attitude. Who might you be able to send this to so they can get a dose of what you've been listening to? Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Well, maybe someone else coined that phrase, uh, I liked it, so I took it today. Team, in 35 episodes, you can learn a lot. And maybe a note to take could be that as you practice your craft, you get better at your craft. When you listen to feedback from people that you do business with and people that you're around on a regular basis, you may have an opportunity to listen and get better, to listen and own your skills, to take it to a whole new level. And that can go for anything. Your skills of business, as a parent, as a partner, as a spouse, as someone who is a constant learner, I am sharing with you some of the thoughts of an eternal optimist, someone who sees things from a positive lens and who's constantly learning. They're constantly taking the challenges that come at them, evaluating them, using them to their advantage and learning from them. That is eternal optimism. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, on today's guest, our 35th episode, he's been through the gauntlet of tests. Now, for someone who's so successful in business and who has endured so many lessons that business has taught us, which he'll share today. He's also going to share with us the challenges that come with having a child at a young age and losing an adult child. He's going to talk about grief, forgiveness, vulnerability. He'll model this as a champion today. I'm so impressed by this man. His name is Mr. Link Forrester and he resides in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a big Georgia Bulldog fan. Also, he's got some ties to the Auburn Tigers. So that's a little bit of an interesting dichotomy. He's so easy to be with. He's funny, he's likable. He has a book that he's gonna share with you today. He tells personal real life stories that hit home. He's a fabulous writer, but he's so humble. He won't say that about himself. I can tell you though, get ready for a conversation with a man who humbly says, he hasn't figured things all out, and yet he speaks with deep wisdom. Welcome to the conversation with my new friend, Mr. Link Forrester. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. 
Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, I would love to welcome to the show my new friend, our guest, Mr. Link Forrester. Link, good morning, sir. How are you? Great to be here, Matt. Doing great. When you say you're doing great, what makes it a great day or just a great for you? What does that mean in your words, Link? You know, I woke up this morning, I took a long walk, cool weather, just thinking how great it is just to, you know, be alive, be able to listen to a podcast on the walk and have a nice, you know, just start the day off great. And I work here with my son, saw him today, and it just made me think, man, life is pretty good. Fantastic. You got me all smiles over here thinking about a great morning, a nice walk, listening to a podcast, get to spend time with your son personally, but also you're in business together. So you get to see him there. Uh, and I just saw him a minute ago and it's great to see the Coles expecting. So that's some exciting, positive news. So let's dive into uh, what we're here to talk about today, Link. And on the Internal Optimist podcast, we like to talk about offering hope or offering some inspiration that others can do it too. And you've had quite a journey, my friend, and I'd love to go as deep as you are willing and able to go today. And let's first start off, if you could, and kind of take us back to your college years and would love to hear the story of how you met your wife. By the way, I saw a picture of your wife. You definitely married up. So I would love to go back and take us back to when you met your wife and, and take us on a journey, if you wouldn't mind, please. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, Carla and I both went to Auburn. I'm going to let out the first big secret is that we were both college cheerleaders at Auburn. You probably don't get too many college cheerleaders on the show. Uh, we only break out the unis on a special occasions, but you know, we'll throw back college Saturdays or something. But yeah, we met through cheerleading. We had sort of love at second sight when we first kind of joined the team. We were both in school and other relationships, weren't really paying very close attention to each other. But we came back for this like summer camp and it was just, wow, we were in love pretty quickly. And it was pretty awesome. And about six months later, we decided we were going to start it. We didn't decide. It was kind of decided for us to uh, start a family early. Probably the greatest moment in my life. Mm -hmm. You probably heard the song, I Married Up and She Married Way, Way Down. And then I think you say something about Alabama after that. Well, that's pretty <laughs> true here. So I was the winner in that deal for sure. Yes. Same here. Thank you for a little bit of the background. What was a challenge that you and Carla faced back then? If you could chronicle a little bit some of the challenges of having your first child at a young age, please help us to understand some of the challenges that have helped to mold and shape you today, Link. Well, obviously, we had a big decision to make when we found out we were pregnant. And, you know, there was never a thought that we weren't going to have the baby, get married. It was just sort of a I was all in. Thankfully, our my parents were definitely in, and I hadn't really met Carla's parents, so that was a bit of a challenge. I remember the first words her dad said to me was, Link, time can heal a lot of wounds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What was that like meeting him for the first time in this particular situation? That must have been interesting. Yeah, it was pretty tough, I guess. They're big hunters. I was worried he was going to offer to take me hunting with him after that sentence. But they're from Mobile, Alabama. and But, you know, when you set the bar that low, you can only go up. And now after uh, 30 
six years of marriage, I think feel like it's okay. They've, they've gotten over that, I think, at this point. Good. Yeah, so that's step one is we're definitely going to have the baby. Step two, we have to kind of figure out, look, we just can't keep on like we're keeping on. We need to make some life changes. If we're going to get married, we need to be different. And so both of us, Carla grew up Catholic. I grew up in a faith-based family. We decided, look, we probably need to commit our life, our marriage to Christ, try to be different, start a new family. And we did that. It's been a great run. It's been the best 36 years of her life. (laughs) (laughs) The next line is it it just feels like 10 minutes underwater. (laughs) He's bringing it today. Well, thank you for keeping it light. You have a, a way about you of keeping things that could be very challenging in a really light perspective, because I'm sure that it was much more difficult than the way that we're we're smiling about it now. That's probably one of your superpowers. When I first heard your story, and that's a fascinating and an amazing tale, I started to cry. And I'd love to go to that place in the story, uh, if we may, because there was a later challenge as you and your, your marriage and your business grew and everything happened there. There was a challenge with one of your children. And if you're able to share that, we'd love to hear about that, please. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the big crisis in our life, right? I mean, we, we were blessed with four great kids and, you know, life just seemed perfect. We have a great business. We have great marriage. Everything looks great from the outside. And one phone call can change your life. And we lost Tyler when he was a student at Auburn. And, you know, that's, you know, you just don't ever really recover from losing a child. But, you know, we still had three other children we loved. And I think Carla and I had both decided, look, most marriages don't survive the loss of a child. And let's first make a commitment that we're not going to let this take us down. Let's figure out what that means. And, you know, I talk about in the book that one important thing is realize we grieve differently. And... These are tough times and every day is a, a challenge. You know, the first couple of weeks, you're sort of in shock and there's tons of family there supporting you. Then you have a few months where it's just you there. Now, thankfully, our daughter was still at home, so we weren't empty nesters. And I think had we been empty nesters, it probably would have been a little harder. So we had Caroline to sort of, you know, just help us deal with normal life and raising a daughter and being present for her and with her. And so that helped. And ultimately, I I talk about the other thing is we, we realized that we didn't own Tyler. We're just stewards of Tyler. God gave us Tyler. The day he gave us Tyler, he knew he was going to take him from us in 20 years. And sometimes when you think about the sovereignty of God, you feel good about that, and then you're challenged by that. But, you know, I think those two things, dealing with grief, recognizing we grieve differently, and realizing Tyler was never ours to begin with. It was part of God's plan, whether you like it or not. And sometimes we don't like God's plans, but we still got to keep journeying down the road, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, thank you for sharing this. 
it's already got me a little bit emotional thinking about it. You're a strong man and the way you're showing up right now. And I want to ask about grieving differently because some people that are struck by a tragedy, they, they don't recover. They don't know how to process or to grieve or to move forward. And you've shown us strongly and bravely that there is a way and you're living it. And I'm curious when you say grieve differently, how did you grieve for that? And, and how might that have impacted like everyday life, like your business, for example, running a high level business? I'm curious how you got through that next couple months, the next year. Well, just sort of a two part question. So I'd say the first part about grieving, Carla likes to have a lot of alone time. And when she's really struggling, she wants to be not around people. She wants to be able to think and just whether she's thinking about Tyler or whatever else, other things we're struggling with, that's the way she grieves. I tend to want to be around my close friends, family. That's just the way I like to handle challenging situations is to be around people I care about. And we're just different that way. As it relates to business, I was pretty lucky I'm in a business that produces a lot of renewal or fee-based income. So for 20 years, I've I've just built this business that I just grew it, grew it, grew it. And then when I couldn't do it anymore for a while, the business supported me. So that was probably a real blessing that I didn't have the pressures of also getting out there and working like I was working. I mean, you know, it took me years to, I mean, I still don't probably work the way I did in those first 20 years of my career. Mm-hmm. And just cause I'm a different person post this event. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. thankfully I'm in a business that if you crush it, if you really work hard for those early years, it pays you back and it paid me back during those sort of challenging you know, one or two years after Tyler's passing. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I didn't want to say this. Yeah. I was a little nervous when you started about the, what made you tear up. I was afraid you were going to say that part of the book when I made my first hole in one and I ripped my shirt off and ran to the hole. I thought that could make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Thank you again, bringing it back to light. You bring up an interesting thing that happened to me, crazily enough, for my second hole-in-one, there was this new thing called VeriSign, some company that would actually have a live real-time camera that would record all the people's shots. It was a brand new thing at Stone Mountain Country Club back in the day in 2009, February 1st, and I got my second hole-in-one on tape. And literally, what you just said, I literally jumped up and down like a chicken with his head cut off, and I ran to the green and had it all on video. Yeah. So, so that was your, that was your first hole. Awesome. Yeah. I have Uh, had two as well. My second hole in one came one year later on the same hole. So kind of crazy in our member guest practice round. Uh, So yeah. Nice. Well, fantastic. And by the way, if you can start talking about golf, we're going to go down a different rabbit hole. So I'm going to bring us back because I can talk about golf forever too. Bring us back. Let's go to some of the learning because there's so many so many things that I want to ask as a business coach and as a person who runs a business that is scaling. There's some great lessons there around business and scaling and building a team around you. So let's stick with the mindset for just another couple of questions around things that you have learned around 
patience, acceptance, moving forward, any learning lessons for us? As you mentioned those words, the word that kind of sticks out to me is forgiveness. I continue to disappoint myself all the time. The things I want to do, I don't do. And, and I realize, hey, I don't have to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. And I make a lot of mistakes. And I want to be quick to forgive myself. I want to be quick to forgive other people. And just realize, hey, we are just prone to be selfish. We're prone to error. We're prone to just miss it. And as men in particular, we're really prone to mess it up. So I think that's what I've been working on in my life is just not taking myself too seriously, not taking what other people do too personally, try to be quick to give grace, be quick to forgive. And I just think it makes life a lot easier. Mm. I wonder with this concept of quick to grace, quick to forgive, if you could take us back, when might be some of the first times you recall starting to feel this is what you're learning, this is who you're becoming. Are there any points in your journey where these thoughts have grace, forgiveness, any place where they might have started to originate and how they're so strong today? I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. The sad part is I'm making some pretty good mistakes every day now, so I don't have to go very far back to think about, man, I'm thankful people are forgiving me for some things I'm doing. I'm thankful that I can forgive myself. So yeah, it's not like I got to go too far back to exercise those processes. Well, one more question on grace then. When you say be quick to grace, is there an example in the past day, week, month you can think of where you needed to offer yourself some grace or grace to someone in a conversation with you? We've been in some challenging negotiations lately with that we've been valuing our business and doing a few things that way and We've been dealing with some consultants that were paying some money to help us with this. And I realized that we all, I've been challenged with that. Some of that was pretty tough. And I realized, man, I need to, it's okay. We're through it, but it it was a tough process. And I often I'm having to send a little note. Hey, I know that meeting was tough, but I'm, I'm okay. You're okay. So again, we all have stressful moments during the day and, and we all react differently to that. And depending on how serious or how much they impact us and the reactions can be stronger or, again, I find myself, I often disappoint myself. I wish I could be a little different, but we all have this sort of nature about us. Some of those things are real strengths of mine, but they're also weaknesses. And um, I'm feeling a real strength of yours. I feel that you have a high empathy and a genuine care for others. I feel that there is this desire to connect. And even in this instance where there may be some challenging conversations going on, still find the need to want to connect with them to make sure things are good. And I think some people might even say that they have this notion that caring for others makes someone like a weak man in some way. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think this is a a good living definition of strength is being able to care for others in this way, to be humble and and transparent with them. I'm wondering, and this is totally off topic, I'm wondering if I were to say, in your definition, what might make for a a strong man? Well, at this time in our lives, I think strength really comes differently. I mean, it's being vulnerable, being comfortable with who you are enough that you can be yourself. Those are examples of someone who is confident enough in 
who they are, whether it's in their faith or their relationship with family or the relationship with friends or their business or whatever it may be, that they don't have to prove any of that. They can just be who they are. I think we were, I don't know if this was on the tape or before we were talking about how much off more likely we are to cry now than we were when we were younger and stronger. And I think that's just sort of a natural reality that, Hey, that's just who I am. So to me, the stronger someone is and who they are, the more willing they are to just be themselves and be open mm. and be vulnerable. And I think to me, that's the people I see who are like that. I realize, man, those are people I want to be more like. Well, I feel that uh, when people read your book, they're going to connect with you. And, and I want to say be more like you, or at least they'll respect you and they'll really connect with your book. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your book and the process of how it came to write a book in the first place. Please take us on that journey of, of your book. Well, I never really thought I'd write a book. And it's Cole, my son, who wanted me to write this book. And he, he's in all these communities with it. Y'all are in and people are writing books. And he says, Dad you're a great storyteller. You've been in business for a long time. You need to write a book. And I think he really thought I was going to write more of a business book as my guest. You know, so he even went so far as to line up like five meetings for me with like a writing coach, a ghostwriter, a company like Script, all these companies. And after all that, I said, look, Cole, let me just see if I can do it. I mean, I don't really journal that well. I'm not so sure that I'm going to be able to write a book, but let me just try it out. So I just started writing a bunch of life stories and I enjoyed it. Like I really enjoyed kind of thinking about these life stories, writing about them. I found it therapeutic even. I mean, I just, I liked it. And so after I had a bunch of these life stories, I said, okay, if I was going to write a book, what would the chapters, what would they look like? What would the layout be? So mm -hmm. I would lay out these chapter titles I take a story, put it in a chapter, try to write about it. And I liked it. I mean, it was going pretty well. When I was about 70% done, I, I did hire a writing coach to help me kind of tie all this together. And she was great. She's an awesome person and really skilled at what she does. Then she also introduced me to a publisher. Oftentimes, it's hard to get a book published. And the publisher took it first try, which is nice. And so, yeah, it all kind of worked out and uh, there you go and just released in july well i'm curious what might be a couple of the stories we might hear and you don't need to tell the whole story but if this were a preview for the book you know what might be uh just a couple of the interesting places that we would find some value or find some laughs well when I, i've done a few book signings for charity and so i usually will read a story or two I, usually one of the early stories in the book the first chapter is a story I'm coming home from work. I've had a challenging lunch and we've got an old a black lab that's really aging. And I get to the driveway and she can't get up. And normally she's up to love on me and she's just laying there. And I think, oh, this really doesn't look good. And Carla comes out and she's already kind of crying and says, look, I've called the vet. They don't really know. They don't really think they can help her, but they suggested we take her up to the University of Georgia Veterinary Hospital and just see what they think. So we pick her up, put her in the car, take all the four kids and drive up to Athens. And, you know, we get there and, you know, they take her back. And, you know, in a short period of time, they say, look, 
we're pretty sure that your dog has cancer. Pretty sure. But we're willing to open her up for $5,000. We'll open her up and, and see, and we'll still give her about a 50% chance of her making it off the table. Or we'll put her down for you. And so, you know, I'm young in my business and we don't have $5,000. And so I said, all right, kids, look, everybody kind of huddle up and uh, we're going to send Jordan to dog heaven. So let's love on her. And, and so we did that and we, they gave her the shot and that's so hard. And she sort of, we know how that goes. Well, she's, so she's gone. And, and so we're driving back home and we're about halfway home from Athens. And my wife turns and looked at me and says, look, when we get home, I want you off my medical power of attorney. She said, my mom will spend $5,000 to make me feel better. <laughs> wow. So, Oh, my God. That's oh, a true man. story and needed no elaboration. That's exactly the way it happened. And now, a quick message from today's sponsor. Has anyone ever accused you of being uptight? The killjoy of the party. Have you ever gotten crotchety around children or large puddles of water or road rage around people driving the speed limit? We have something for you. A revolutionary new pill called Be Cool. It can take that little edge off and cause you to chill the f*** out. Today's guest, Link Forrester, takes him. In fact, not only is he a client, He's also the president. So remember, be cool and chill the fuck out. Disclaimer, this sponsor is all made up. It does not exist. Link does not take this. He's just simply cool, man. Just remember, be cool and chill the fuck out. Now back to the show. Well, some of the things that I've heard on other podcasts, I've heard a couple areas I'd love to dive into. One of them is your business and kind of your chronicling there because you've had some opportunities for great learning there. And then your faith, because you've talked very openly and passionately about your faith. You know, and those are two areas I'm really interested. I'm sure our listeners would be interested in hearing things you've learned and kind of what you see in the future. So if we could take back to your business journey, take us on a chronicling of your business career. We'd love to hear about that. Wins, challenges, anything that you feel would be interesting to our listeners, Link? Yeah, sure. So I went to Auburn. I was a building science major, which is sort of a construction management type major. So when I first graduated, I went to work for a general contractor in Atlanta. And this guy kind of put you out on site and we did a little engineering early on, but it was just a terrible first year, like so bad. I hated it. I hated everything about that job. I would come home and we were living in an apartment or townhome, whatever you want to call it in Dunwoody. And we had banks, our first child, this young baby. And I just, I'd walk in, I'd take off that tool belt. I just lay on the floor with Carla and banks and just think, gosh, I hate this job. And so at the end of that year, a friend of mine, a friend of my parents, a neighbor was an executive at IBM. And he said, Link, are you ready to come work for me? And I said, 
Yes. You just say where and when, huh. and I'll be there. So that's like the first big break in my work life. And it was just somebody caring about you, right? And saying, hey, come work for me. And IBM, I tell this story in the book. I'm in my first day of training at IBM. And I'm like, I don't know, the fourth, fifth, sixth guy to introduce themselves. And first guy goes, you know, I went to Harvard, undergrad, grad. Next guy goes, I went to Wharton School of Business. Next guy was, I went to Darden. And so finally, I I introduced myself and said, I went to Auburn. I obviously know somebody who got me here. But what I learned in that business is I didn't like the quota territory business. I knew it was too much management of my earnings. There was too much control. I, I met with my manager in early in my first year. I knew I was going to crush my quota. And I said, look, if my quota is X, you're going to pay me Y. If I sell 4X, I'm assuming you're going to pay me 4Y. He goes, no, we're going to pay you 130% of your target earnings. And I thought, man, I am out of here. This will not last long. I knew I was going to leave IBM. And so my I was visiting with a friend of mine who was in the insurance business. And he said, hey, you got to meet this guy, Bill Goodwin. And I said, well, okay, but I'm not pretty sure I want to get in that business. He said, look, he's a great guy. I'm confident he can help you. So I go meet this guy, Bill Goodwin. And I remember, you know, my wife was kind of shocked that I was going to do that. But he's a very dynamic person. He's a great listener. I spent two hours with him. I felt like he knew more about me than I knew about me. And he convinced me, and I had a list of 10 things I wanted in a job. And he convinced me that job would meet those, the things on that list. Only that job, maybe. I mean, it was just perfect. So obviously I was a little excited about that. I went home, told Carla about it. She thought I'd lost my mind. She said, let me see. You said you weren't too serious about this. Now you're coming back here thinking you want to do it. She said, are you crazy? You have a good job at IBM. They like you. You just made the golden circle, which is like their top one of 1%. I mean, what, what are you doing? I said, baby, it, that's not going to work for us. And I had this discussion around active risk and passive risk with her. A passive risk would be me staying at IBM, too afraid to leave, knowing I'm not super happy, but can't, don't want to make the jump. And I get old enough, then I'm going to be in a bad spot. Active risk is... Going naked into the wind and doing this crazy job with no salary and trying to build this career. So we did that. And it's worked out. It, those list of 10 things did was true. This job kind of met those and it was a it was a great fit. And for 20 years, I talked, I built this high-end ins- primarily insurance-based practice, high-end insurance, estate planning executive compensation. And then obviously the big event, losing Tyler, sort of a pause in my career. But we've all kind of migrated more into the wealth management, financial planning business. We all have kind of built up other type of business. So now we're building teams in our business. So we've recently formed a team and that's been kind of fun. And so we have our own little identity now. And it's been great. It's been a nice, it's an awesome career. It's a great business. It's hard. Most people won't enjoy what we do. But for the few that can 
get out there and do referred lead prospecting and work hard and build a big network of clients, it, it, there's no better business. And there's no better business to be old in. I mean, this, mm. my business is built for old people to enjoy it. <laughs> so, it's just a grind when you're young. Mm. Well, thank you for that. The lessons learned on the way, the thinking about passive risk and ask active risk, uh, the ideas around quota territory compensation models. And when you believe in yourself, there's a cap uh, in that model. And you saw that quickly. And uh, yeah, that was great. And thank you for telling us how you laid on the floor, the tool belt. Done. <laughs> I'm with you. Hey, I man, even stage. today, when I'm having a bad day, I think back, man, you could still be in those tool belt days. And I think, man, let's get a little perspective. That is so. a great dose of perspective and gratitude right there. And appreciation is to think back to that. That's a nugget of wisdom. Thank you. I'd love to talk about your faith. You've mentioned you've leaned on your faith. And this is something that you grew up with faith and then you were tested at a young age. Please help us understand your journey in your Christian faith and how that has continued to evolve and serve you and how you've yeah. served. So, you know, I mentioned that I grew up in a Christian home. Carla grew up in a Christian home. Carla's, we were more sort of non-denominational. She, they grew up in a Catholic home. The first thing, both of all of our parents are still married. So we came from sort of a, a base of strength. We have strong families, and I think that's a real bonus. Not many people don't have that today, so we were lucky. But ultimately, through having a child in college, an unexpected pregnancy, that was sort of our crisis. Our faith went from being our parents' faith to our faith. And I think God typically doesn't deal with us in prosperity, right? Usually He deals with us through challenge. And that was sort of a time that when we committed our lives to Christ and our marriage, and that's kind of the beginning. And then we've been involved in good churches through our whole life. We, but I think the real secret to a strong faith journey is a small group. I still meet with my same small group. I mean, we've been meeting 25 years now. I mean, it's hard. I, I shouldn't call it a Bible study. Sometimes we do a study, but most of the time we're just asking each other how they're doing, what's going on. And they're my go-to guys. You know, when you're dealing with something, you need you need someone other than your wife to go to say, hey, what do you, what do, you do here? I'm struggling with this. What would you do if you, this happened to you? And you need that in your life. And so I think that's been the real secret sauce to a strong faith journey is a small group that cares about you, that helps you journey well. So, mm. I wonder how you may have leaned on them when Tyler passed away. I mean, were those relationships, are those the same relationships today that they were at Tyler's passing? Yeah, obviously they're the first ones over, yeah. the first ones to help. Another person in that group has lost a child, a person's lost a wife. And I mean, it's just, we're old enough now where we've all you know, no one gets out of this world unscathed. There is tragedy for all of us that has happened or is going to happen. And I don't think God puts us on this earth to live 80 years of comfortable life and then die. He's Life here is a challenge. We're not built for this place. We're built for eternity and not for this short time that we're on earth. So, and again, the Christian walk is full of challenge. And I mean, I, I talk about it all the time. I talk about this in the book. 
you know, you and I can talk about God all we want. It's pretty, everybody, it's not confrontational. God's not confrontational. It's most people believe in intelligent design. But when you talk about Jesus, that's a divider. I mean, it is hard. Even when Jesus had people follow him, when he was here on earth, and people were coming to you know, see his miracles or be fed or whatever it is, he would give them something really hard. He would say, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Or unless you hate your mother and father, you can't follow me. And what, what he was saying is, look, don't just play the game with me. I'm serious. If you're going to follow me, then follow me. But don't don't just be here to say you're here to see the miracles. And I think that's the way it is with us, with our faith. Most people are Christian because they're American. They don't, they go to church on Easter. They haven't really dug deep into, is Jesus really the only way or is he just a way for me? And I think people have to really deal with a question like that. I mean, it's really challenging. It's hard to, I mean, I would, if I were doing the rules, I wouldn't make the rules that way, but I, it's what I think the rules are, if you will. So, mm-hmm. Feeling that how you do anything is how you do everything. Follow it, go go all in and really follow and do it completely. Not just when it's comfortable. It's not just here to be happy and comfortable all the time. There's going to be challenges and that's the, the greatest tests. And that's when we lean even more on our faith. And by having a strong support structure of people around you, that's probably one of the greatest blessings in life and also one of the greatest uh, things you can have in your corner, you know, when times are toughest. These are some of the things I'm feeling that, that you're sharing with me. So thank you. What's next, Link? What is the the exciting future you're looking forward to? Where, yeah, we'll start with that. What is the, what's next in your world you're looking forward to? Well, like I said, I formed a partnership with a good friend of mine, Cole, my son, and another sharp young guy are young partners in the firm. And so sort of seeing this whole transition of our firm going from Wayne and me to all four of us, and Wayne and I will be exiting out at different times, but over the next 10 to 12 years. And I think that's fun. And this business is fun. We're helping people there's a lot of benefits to this business we're in and we we're enjoying that. So work-wise that there's a lot of fun things to look forward to and just sort of seeing how this business goes past the two of us and on with Cole and Will. That's exciting. You know, Carla and I, we like to travel and we're going from three grandkids this year to five. I'm officially old, five grandkids. <laughs> and I don't know if we talked about this, but my whole family, we live all in the same neighborhood in Atlanta. I mean, my family has separation issues. I mean, it is crazy. So my oldest son lives across the street from me and he's got three kids about to have their fourth. Cole just bought a house down maybe a mile from me in our neighborhood. My parents live near him. My oldest son, his wife's parents moved in the neighborhood. I mean, we're all, her brother just moved in the neighborhood. We just got I mean, it's crazy, but we love it. It's fun. We're in a fun, you know, grandkids are fun. And being a grandfather, oh my gosh, that's easy. I mean, grandmothers actually work. (laughs) Grandfathers, we show up and, you know, love on them for a little bit and give them right back. Don't change any diapers. None of that sort of stuff for grandpas. We're off the hook. 
my grandmas, they got to put in the effort. I don't think you're telling any secrets here. I think that, man, we probably know that we do have it easier than, than our wives do in, in many cases when, in parenting. So uh, we know. Thank you, dear, when you listen to this. I think it sounds fantastic to have the family around. In fact, this is something that's really changed in our country in the last maybe couple of generations. Because I remember that in my, my dad, who would be in his 70s today, and then his parents lived in the same neighborhood as their parents. And then my dad moved away and my mom moved away. I wonder if there's so much in our country now, maybe around the world, where we're moving away from our family. And what you just described sounds like ideal to me. I would love to have the family around. We're a throwback to like the 50s, our family. Well, it speaks to the family unit of being close to each other because I can feel, and, and Cole helped to get things set up this morning uh, on the microphone and whatnot. And I saw him and just the energy between the two of you. And I love that you have that. I'm happy for you that you have that. That's great. And to hear you talk about doing business together and passing the, the torch, so to speak, in 10 to 12 years, that sounds exciting too. So all all positive things. Well, Link, is there a way that we can get a copy of your book or find out more and follow you? Just how might we find out more about Link Forrester? Yeah, the book's available. You can buy it anywhere you buy books. So whether it's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you buy books, The Side Road is the name of the book. We have a website, linkforresterauthor.com. You can learn about the book there. I'm on most social, you know, it's funny before I did this book, I had very little social media, but publishers really want you to have social media. So I'm, I'm now have lots of social media. So yeah, you can find me on Facebook, but yeah, linkforesterauthor.com. And again, you can buy the side road wherever books are sold. Excellent. Well, thank you, Link, so much. We appreciate you for sharing your story and, and for sharing family and faith and business and the journey of writing a book and the definition of a strong man and some of these stories. And by the way, the next hole in one I have, I will be ripping my shirt off as I run to the green and we're going to get that on tape. And, and you will be one of the first people I send that to. You may not want that video, but I just want to appreciate you today. You've taken us on a journey and thank you, my friend. Much appreciated. Thank you, Matt. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.